Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.57 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 25th of May, which is the fifth month of the year, 2021. This is episode 425. It's just all the numbers are lining up. 5, 25, 25. It's just, it's great, man. Uh, although, we're going to get into some pretty hairy shit. So, we're going to go ahead and start this one with Coindesk.com. <clears throat> and who's writing this one? Uh, Mark Hochstein and Christine Harkin are co-writing this particular one. Yes, we're going to wade right on into the deep end with... This isn't the start of OPEC. New Bitcoin Mining Council just wants to promote greener practices, says a member. I wonder if these members wear robes, you know, with priestly hoods and shit like that. Uh, Okay, I'll save the rant. Let's get into it. The new Bitcoin Mining Council has no intention of altering the cryptocurrency software and merely wants to promote sustainable energy practices and transparencies in the industry, a founding member said. The council, spearheaded by Tesla CEO Elon Musk and MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor, will respect Bitcoin's fungibility and does not advocate discrimination between so-called clean and dirty coins, said Peter Wall, CEO of Argo Blockchain. Quote, we're not talking about Bitcoin code or block size or anything related to changing the nature of Bitcoin, said Wall, whose publicly traded company was one of a handful of mining firms that met with Saylor and Musk over the weekend. We all love Bitcoin the way it is, as a decentralized, permissionless system. And let's get into the Michael Saylor quote or tweet in question here. He's retweeting Elon Musk, whose tweet says, spoke with North American Bitcoin miners. They committed to publish current and planned renewable usage and to ask miners uh, also to do so, potentially promising. Oh my God. So Michael Saylor retweeting this says, yesterday I was pleased to host a meeting between Elon Musk and the leading Bitcoin miners in North America. The miners have agreed to form the Bitcoin Mining Council to promote energy usage transparency and accelerate sustainability initiatives worldwide. Execs from Argo Blockchain, BlockCap, Core Scientific, Galaxy Digital HQ, Hive Blockchain, Hut8 Mining, Marathon DH, Riot Blockchain were present and decided to establish an organization. That's right, people, an organization to standardize energy reporting, pursue industry ESG goals, and educate and grow the marketplace. That's the end of the Michael Saylor quotes. Never trust a billionaire. I told I told you I I I still even like Mike. However, he's going down on my shit scale pretty fucking quick, right? And I told y'all I I had said it. I'm like, look, man. I mean, I while I like the guy, I don't necessarily trust him, and it's because of shit like this. It's exactly because of this kind of crap. This is a replay of of Bitcoin Foundation. This is a replay of New York Agreement. And no matter how tender they tell you they're going to be, don't trust them. Don't believe them. Always assume chicanery. As long as, <clears throat> as, long as you can assume that they are on the dark side of the force, then you will at least be able to whip out your lightsaber pretty damn quick. You gotta be defensive about this shit. And being offensive about it is a form of being defensive. And that's why you're seeing everybody swarming all over both Michael Saylor and Elon Musk. So continuing further discussions with the group so far have been very clear that one BTC is one BTC 
and that the fungibility <clears throat> and essential properties of Bitcoin shouldn't be changed, Wall said in an interview Monday evening. In the hours since Musk and Saylor revealed the meeting on Twitter Monday, hardened Bitcoin veterans have been comparing it to the controversial and ultimately unsuccessful New York Agreement of 2017. That closed-door uh, gathering of startup executives was a major flashpoint in the highly acrimonious debate over how best to scale the Bitcoin network and widely viewed as inimical to the currency's ethos of leaderlessness. As then, many users are questioning how a small group of companies and two charismatic figureheads can profess to lead a global community where, by design, no one is in charge. And we have one from, we have a tweet here from uh, Fluffy Pope. <clears throat> Fluffy Pony, who he, he who gets a lot of shit from the same kinds of from the same types of people because of his involvement in Monero, but he's got a point. He says, "Are we calling this one the Zoom agreement?" I mean, these guys are catching a lot of shit from the historians in the space, and guess who the historians are? All of us. We remember all this shit because this entire thing is nascent. It's only 11, 12 years old. I mean, it, it, you can say that one year in Bitcoin is like seven years in Normyland all you want, but our memories are very, very attuned to what has happened. We've been through this shit before, some of us several times. This looks exactly the same. There's no differences here. Quote, it's extremely concerning that this group of Bitcoiners wandered into this meeting without any sense of self-awareness, wrote Marty Bent, co-founder of Great American Mining, in his newsletter on Monday. Quote, do they not recall the last time there was a closed-door meeting that involved industry stakeholders who attempted to speak on behalf of an entire industry? How did they think this would turn out? The hubris is astounding, end quote. Wall said such concerns are unfounded in this case. Quote, this isn't start of OPEC. <clears throat> this, uh, the group is a way to get together and discuss. Yeah, I've heard that before. We are all independent, decentralized miners who have formed a voluntary group to influence the industry and each other. Okay, so you're not going to influence the industry, but you're going to influence the industry? Right there. Right there. That's why you don't trust them. You don't believe them. These guys have grown up being steeped in a soup of doublespeak because that's the way they survive in the fiat world. This is not that world. The powers that you bring with you across the borderlands from one magical realm into another magical realm is going to get your ass killed. The, uh, all I can say is don't believe them don't trust them. This is bullshit. Good God almighty. The council's formation also comes as public figures such as Shark Tank star Kevin O'Leary are pushing the idea that Bitcoins can be clean or dirty, depending on how they are mined, and that green-minded institutional investors can and should buy only the former. Good luck with that. <clears throat> Coin join your, jo your coins, everybody. Throughout this conversation with Coindesk, Wall said the council's two goals were to promote disclosure and improve energy practices. Beyond those broad objectives, the companies haven't agreed on much else, he said. Quote, what we want to do is make sure valid ESG concerns about people mining Bitcoin with coal are being addressed. At this point, it's not going any further than that. Yeah, at this point, he says it right there, at this point. It's not going any further than that. I mean, what happens later, dude? It's, when asked about the efficacy of carbon credits, he declined to speak on the council's behalf. We haven't gone beyond the two things I've laid out, which is energy transparency and improving sustainable mining practices. Pressed on how promoting mining transparency squared with protecting fungibility, Wall said the council wasn't considering labeling which coins were mined sustainably and which ones with coal-powered equipment. The information would begin and end on the company level, he said. That doesn't even make sense. Quote, what we're saying is we need to promote energy transparency around individual miners, not necessarily about coins that are coming out from individual miners. <clears throat> the question is, what kind of energy mixes are individual miners, publicly traded miners, using with the goal to then take that knowledge and encourage people to move towards renewables? 
Besides Argo, the other miners in the group are HUT8, Galaxy, Digital, Riot Blockchain, Marathon Core Scientific, Hive Blockchain, and BlockCap. Combined, they control less than 10% of global computing power on the Bitcoin network. Coinmetrics co-founder and Castle Island Ventures partner Nick Carter estimated, <clears throat> and Nick Carter's got a quote here in a tweet, billionaires commandeer Bitcoin consensus with shadowy centralized closed-door cabal Sounds a lot scarier than miners accounting for 10% of hash rate agreed to disclose basic information that many of them were already disclosing anyway. I tend to disagree with the fact that he doesn't find this as important. And I like Nick, I really do, but I think he's kind of putting a, I think he's trying to nerf the potentialities of the situation. If we were to look at exactly what's going on right now, with what broke yesterday, because all this shit came out yesterday, then yes, Nick would be correct. However, I believe firmly that Nick understands that this shit escalates. No matter what you do, no matter what you say to nerf it, no matter how much appeasement people might want to think of, you know, of making in this situation, it's going to metastasize. It always does. Don't trust them. Don't believe them. Finishing this off, Sailor, the MicroStrategy CEO, who claims to have organized the group, is scheduled to speak at Consensus 2021 Tuesday afternoon. So sometime this morning, or rather not this morning, this afternoon, <clears throat> we apparently will know more. But I guarantee you, you know, of course, you know, Elon is ca caught, you know, an earful and a half from Bitcoiners all over the planet. But now Michael's starting to catch the shit. And I don't know what he thought. I, I don't, I, I mean, he caught, he caught an enormous amount of shit <clears throat> when he, when that came out in his quarterly report for MicroStrategy that they were talking about blockchain analytics. And he had to publicly state that single, that very day, that that was not going to occur, that that was probably just somebody in his publicist, you know, like some publicist putting in a, a, a thing for their quarterly report and that they had no intention of doing analytics in any way, shape or form. Well, now I don't trust that statement either. I'm telling you, man, these guys don't get to be billionaires just because they're, you know, 100% lucky. I mean, there's some connivery that goes on, you know, for these guys, whether they're getting subsidies like Elon Musk, which is really what turned him into a billionaire because he hasn't actually produced a company that's made any money. PayPal didn't make shit until he left or got fired by Peter Thiel for wanting to put all the infrastructure for PayPal on Microsoft servers, which at the time was not, not going to, was not going to fly. Yeah, a lot of, lots of people use Microsoft now, but they didn't do it 20 years ago. Not for financial shit. Hell no, it was too unsecure. And Peter Thiel said, G GTFO, brother. I don't know, man. It's just the whole thing, the whole thing smells. And it smells exactly like the Bitcoin Foundation, which led to the New York Agreement, which was a closed door meeting that people were invited to and not everybody was invited to. And I'm not... I'm, we're not angry because we didn't get invited. That's not the point. I wouldn't have gone if I was invited. And of course, I'm not going to be invited. But that's not, like I said, that's not the point. Any, anything that even remotely looks like a closed door meeting is going to be met with severe consequences. We've been through this before. Like I said, several times, it never ends well. There, it always ends up being in a bullshit fight, and all it does is delay the inevitable, and I'm sick of waiting. Yes, I'm, I'm going to say it. I got a high time preference at this point. I've been in for six years. I'm not saying that I need to have you know trillions of dollars in my pocket right now to go do all the shit that I want to do and get all the Lambos and all the, the bitches and the hoes and the closet full of clothes. I don't need all that shit. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm tired of being a prisoner. That's what I'm tired of. That, I mean, now that my eyes have been opened in this space to what's really going on in the world and what has been going on the world in the world for decades, I realize I'm a prisoner and I am sick of my slave chains. I want them off.
the cuffs around my ankles are chafing and I'm tired of it. And yet here we have yet another room full of billionaires and millionaires that are fucking it up. I'm telling you, man, bull, the bullshit is just, it, it just becomes so deep. And even, you know, even <clears throat> Francis Pouliot has this one to say in a tweet. He's got a, he's got a meme of the Trojan horse coming into the walls and inside the horse is censorship, ESG, third parties and custody. And the guys that are, you know, like bringing the horse or institutional adoption number go up and the people welcoming the horse in are plebs and cypherpunks. And that's a pretty brutal way to actually put what's going on. But we, I, I, I like Francis, so let's see what he has to say about that particular meme. The biggest risk to Bitcoin is the high time preference of Bitcoiners. Personally, I'd prefer to delay the gratification of hyper-Bitcoinization as long as possible to build the infrastructure necessary to scale without compromising on the cypherpunk ethos. Well, I have a tendency to agree, but I'm displaying high time preference because of slavery. Now, and I don't, and I don't think he's wrong. I'm not saying that he's wrong. I'm just saying that the fact that he has to use the word delay and I don't even need hyper Bitcoinization to actually come to come to pass to not be a slave. <clears throat> I need some Bitcoinization. Some. I don't need hyper. I don't need mostly Bitcoinization. I don't need hyper Bitcoinization. I need some Bitcoinization. And the billionaires and the millionaires always seem to put on a suit and figure out the best and fastest way to make sure that, that shit gets delayed. And this is yet another one. So <clears throat> when uh, Francis uh, tweeted all that out, as you can imagine, Awe Dieter Bob had something to say about it. Awe says he has no point. It's literally the opposite. And he's talking to me because I'm the one that retweeted Francis Pouliot because I said the man has a good point and he does. But, you know, as, as we can always, we can always count on Awe Bitcoin or Awe Dieter Bob to, you know, to always tell his what he thinks is the truth. And he doesn't think that Francis has a point, that it's literally the opposite. But my point here is that I think the markets for mining works itself out, and it does it in this way. The smaller pools will mine high-value transactions that are unsavory, and the larger pools will have fun trying to figure out why they no make mo as much money. All transactions will be mined, and that could make an S9 profitable. So I'm not necessarily talking, I'm not talking about the energy FUD thing that is going on here. I'm looking at the different thing that is the subtext of all this bullshit. OFAC compliant transactions. Don't, I mean, like, I, I, I think what's going to happen is that the OFAC stuff and the energy FUD stuff is going to coalesce into one grouping that ends up threatening fungibility in toto. That's what I think is, that's what I think we're on the road for. If we're not, not, we're, we got to be more than careful. We've got to be offensive about it. I mean, put on a complete offense, just a battering ram that just goes around and literally just plugs anybody in the chest that has any visions at all about whether or not, whether or not a coin is clean or dirty, given its energy footprint or that a coin is clean or dirty given a situation to did it come from a transaction that was non-OFAC compliant I you know honestly I think that there could be a room like a base like a, a grandma's basement full of S9s that if we don't if we're not careful very, very careful. Those S9s could very well outpace an entire data mining center in fees because they have chosen to mine non-OFAC compliant coins. That's what I think is going to happen. And again, the alarm bells are sounding. If you're not out of your bunk and have and don't have your gear on, and not battening down the hatches because we're in another storm, then you're not helping. I mean, just if you could, if you could do the following and only the following, that this would be helpful. Don't believe them. Don't trust them. 
this thing leads into another thing. It's not living in isolation. There are no boundaries here. What they say is supposed to be looked at by the people they say it to from their point of view as a boundary that they won't cross. To them, there is no boundary. It's just words, man. It's just words. So be aware. Now, let's see what Obi Nwosu, who's the CEO of Co- and co-founder of CoinFloor, has to say about this. Um, <clears throat> the title is Tragedy, Tragedy and Farce. Historians have always wanted us to read more history. Few surprises there, perhaps. But we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking we're just trying to shift more of their books. Because history isn't just the sterile occupation of telling tales of the past. They are warnings about the future. So when I saw the old argument about scaling Bitcoin without the need for additional technology layers, I sighed and recalled Santayana's dictum that those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Because we fought this civil war before, several times in fact, the battle between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash was only the first and most prominent scaling motivated fork in Bitcoin's road to hegemony. Sure, Bitcoin won, but this myth is proving hard to kill. Like the Hydra of myth, every time we cut off a head, whether XT, uh, XT Unlimited, Classic, or Bitcoin 2X, another seems to grow in its place. Having to make the same arguments again and again is troublesome and tiring. It's especially irritating when those promoting a single-layer future are so influential, and when they really should know better. So forgive me if you've heard this one before. It may not be news to you, but it clearly needs repeating. Bitcoin's core purpose is to be the world's best store of value. It does this by maintaining an incorruptible record of ownership of Bitcoin and Satoshis, which act like packets of user-owned value, or to use an analogy that should be well understood by any tech entrepreneur, it's like a hard drive that stores value instead of data. Hard drives are the base layer of the internet and computing. Without them, there would be no computers, smartphones, or the World Wide Web. All that information on the superhighway needs to be stored somewhere after all. So hard drives are an incredibly important building block, but they are not omnipotent. Many hard drives are needed to store all of the world's data and other technologies need to be in unison, such as computer processors, memory, and networks to fully realize the internet revolution. Of course, one could imagine that very early on in the internet's growth, uh, some could have thought that a really big hard drive with all the world's internet users connected by very long cables would be the best way to scale. It would certainly have been conceptually similar to how the internet actually evolved, but nowadays it is hopefully self-evident that this would have been unworkable. In this sense, scaling Bitcoin is no different. Conceptually, the naive approach of building an even bigger value hard drive, which everyone connects to directly, is easy to understand and would work initially, but eventually you will hit challenges that could only be fixed by a completely different approach. Like if I wanted to travel faster, I'd learn to walk, then run, then run really fast. Ultimately, however, I'll have to go back to the drawing board and invent a bicycle, then a car, a plane, and eventually a rocket in my quest to scale my ability to move rapidly. In the case of Bitcoin, infrastructure developments like Lightning Network, sidechains, and RGB that run on top or alongside Bitcoin are known as layers and allow Bitcoin to scale in a future-proofed manner. These layers enable us to provide a dizzying range of new services ranging from fast financial transactions to smart contracts without taking up limited (coughs) Bitcoin blockchain resources. Proponents of single layer at scale often appear to think that layering infrastructure like Lightning is a temporary workaround when in fact this approach is central to maintaining Bitcoin's ethos of decentralization. Lose that and we lose Bitcoin's killer app its ability to remain truly independent of any entity that may seek to control it and the value Bitcoin holders have entrusted to it. By following a layered approach, the Bitcoin base layer continues to act as the world's only inviolable store of value with additional layers providing any missing scale and functionality without risking the core. This might not be quite Bitcoin 101, but it's not far off of it. And as I say, we've been here many times before. As someone snarked in response to the original tweet proposing a single layer at scale, quote, dude, 2017 called, it wants its takes back, end quote. 
Karl Marx said that history repeats itself. First is tragedy and, th tragedy and then is farce. Uh, and while tragedy might be too strong a word for it, what it is, after all, a technical debate, it's farcical that we keep having this debate when it has been so decisively won and so often in the past. So why do we keep having this conversation? I'd like to suggest two reasons. First, there is often a year zero mentality held by some new entrants to the Bitcoin community. Being at the forefront of the most momentous monetary revolution in millennia makes a few people feel they don't have to pay any attention to the past, including the recent history of Bitcoin itself. But more importantly, there's a desire to report on and to follow celebrity influencers who do all their thinking out loud and in the most public way possible. So the lesson from all of this is the same as it's always been, not just in Bitcoin, but all throughout history. Don't take things on trust. Be responsible for your own education and don't ignore the past. It's good advice from Obi. That's probably why I always refer to him as Obi-Wan. But uh, we have, on the good news front, moving, was shifting from the bullshit, okay? A number of Bitcoin holders shoots to record high, says data. <laughs> Sources. Omkar Godbull had his, has it from Coindesk. <clears throat> The number of Bitcoin addresses in accumulation has risen to record highs as investors with long-term horizons take advantage of the recent price drop to boost their coin stashes. The count accumulation addresses climbed to a record for the seventh consecutive day on Monday, taking the total to 545,115 according to Glassnode data. The number has increased by 16,500 since May the 8th a sign of persistent bargain hunting by long-term hodlers during Bitcoin slide from 58 grand to 30,000. The balance held in accumulation addresses has jumped by 30,000 during the same time frame, hitting a two-month high of 2.79 million BTC. Glassnode defines accumulation addresses as ones that have at least two incoming non-dust transfers and have never spent funds. Essentially, these are long-term hodler addresses. Over-the-counter desk have also seen substantial outflows over the past two weeks, signifying dip demand from institutional investors. On Monday, OTC desk tracked by Glassnode registered an outflow of 12,000 BTC, which is the most since early September. However, inflows to OTC desk wallets also spiked to a 5.5-month high, of 12,392 on Monday, inflows indicate an intention to sell, but do not simply immediate or do not imply immediate liquidation. Bitcoin is currently trading near $38,000, representing a 2% drop on the day, according to CoinDesk 2.0. Yeah, well, we've we're seeing some dip action again today, and I, I'm not exactly sure why. I haven't run across anything substantial, other than the fact that I don't know, maybe some like. The, red, the, the last of Asia woke up and decided that they didn't like the shit that Elon Musk and, and Michael Saylor were saying. Although, I'll give you this. How many people around the world, like how many people in Central America actually give, either know or give a shit about what Michael Saylor wants or thinks? Sorry, I had to take a sip of coffee there, man. I'm, I, I like, dude, I totally blew it on, on setting the coffee pot this morning. I have a coffee pot that has an outboard uh, reservoir for water. And unless you seed it in a particular way, uh, the timer, it doesn't matter. The timer will come on, but it won't actually brew coffee because you're not actually connected to the water supply. So forgive me for not being all jacked up this morning. Now, <clears throat> BIT Mining Limited to invest in a cryptocurrency data center in Kazakhstan. Remember what I was telling you about the, the places that I think are going to be important in the world, and it ain't the West? It's Central America, South America, the Baltics, the Balkans, the entire continent of Africa and Eastern Europe, and the stands? Well, here you go. There's the stands. Uh, Felipe Erzo is writing this for financemagnates.com. 
The China-based listed Bitcoin mining company, BIT Mining Limited, announced on Monday that it has entered into a binding investment sheet with a Kazakhstan-based firm to invest in a cryptocurrency mining data center in Kazakhstan jointly. Per the announcement, BIT Mining Limited will allocate $9.3 million to build and run the Kazakhstan mining data center operations, whose total power capacity is expected to be at 100 megawatts. The Shenzhen-based company will have an 80% equity interest while their partners will hold the remaining 20%, although they did not disclose the name of the Kazakhstan-based firm. Furthermore, operations managers located in the forthcoming data center will provide on-site hosting, yada, 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 yada. The important part here is that Chinese miners have already figured out where the hell they're going to go. I mean, you can't pull triggers this fast unless you already have the gun cleaned and loaded and aimed. Right? So this, whatever it is that China thinks it's doing, it's probably not going to work out, you know, well. It probably will work out fine for China in the short term because what are you going to do? It's China. It's huge. They have a huge economy. But in the long term, when you're looking down the road, and they've lost and pissed off all their mining partners, um, they're not going to be in the best position on a global scale. It's just not going to happen. It's going to be Central and South America. It's going to be the continent of Africa. It's going to be way, way far Eastern Europe. It's going to be the Baltics, the Balkans. It's going to be the Stands. It's going to be Hungary and frickin' Transylvania and Greece and shit like that. All right, It's not going to be the West. The West, had, the West had it shot. We fucked it up. We decided that we wanted fake money. And that's why we fucked it up. Everything else is, is, is just a non, non-issue. I mean, the, 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 the frantic screaming and the hysterics of the blue and purple hair people running around bitching about orange man and telling me I got to use certain pronouns, all that is all bullshit because it is all coming from the fact that people are freaking out about cheap money, but they don't know, they don't know that. They don't understand that it's cheap money that has caused obesity and di- diabetes and the fact that everybody's broke as a goddamn, you know, three-dick dog, right? And that's why they're coloring their hair, running around talking about, you know, shit about ex-presidents that colored their skin, I mean, it's just a bunch of, like you want to talk about color coins, man. Here we go, and and all it, they're constantly in hysterics about one thing or another, whether it's you're not using their pronouns, or it's an environmental catastrophe, or it's an environmental emergency, or oh my God, we're all gonna die, and they've been screaming this shit for twenty years because that's when the real effects of just rampant money printing that had already occurred kicked in. You just wait for 20 years from now, unless we get this shit fixed with Bitcoin, you wait and see what happens then. At that point, you've got the very same people that are coming together in road warrior-like clans. Oh, yeah, God. The whole thing makes me sick, so let's run the numbers. Mixed markets today will start with West Texas Intermediate crude down 0.39%, down to $65.79. Brent North Sea is $68.30 for a barrel, and it is down a quarter of a point. Nat Gas is up almost half a point. We're back up to $2.89 for a 1,000 cubic feet of that. Gold is down 0.13%, $1,881.90 will get you an ounce of the shiny metal rock. Silver's down almost a point, $27.68. Platinum is up uh, 0.6%. Copper is down a third. Palladium is up a little bit over one half. All the agricultural futures are, are up this morning, except for corn, which is down a third of a point. Our winner for the most movement today is coffee at 1.07% to the upside, so your poison bean juice will cost more in the future. Uh, Dow futures are up a quarter, S&P futures are up a third, NASDAQ futures up a half, and the S&P mini is up a third. 
all of the uh, prices on the 10, 30, and five-year and two-year uh, bonds, treasury bonds are up. The 30-year futures went up by 0.18%, just so you know. Now, real money, $37,414.35 for one Bitcoin. There were 253,700 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. That is 10,500 transactions on average per hour with 1.26 million BTC being sent around the horn in the last 24 hours. That's 52,800 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with a five BTC average transaction value and a 0.029 BTC median transaction value. That's right at $1,100. Block times are, nor are nominal, 10 minutes and 17 seconds, with 0.7 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 97.5 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 1% increase in hash rate, we are up to 154 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is up to 33 cents. That would be Dogecoin. So that should give you an idea of what the rest of the shitcoin landscape looks like. There are a measly 20,000 transactions waiting on 56 blocks to clear. We are down to $693.4 billion in market capitalization, which is 5.67% of gold's total market cap. You can buy 19.7 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,718,041.5 BTC in circulation. So, uh, a good 1,355 of those BTC are in the Lightning Network at a capacity value of $50.2 million, being run over 11,440 nodes and having 46,445 open channels. Tor capacity holding at 60.9%. There are 824.81 BTC in the Tor side or the Tor side of the Lightning Network, of which there are 5,729 nodes. Now, taproot activation, highest I've ever seen it, 97% of miners are signaling for taproot activation. And that gives us, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 pools are signaling taproot. And if I look at the overview page on taproot.watch, I have almost solid green uh, for actually, I don't know, man. We're probably going to end up solid green at the end of this particular signaling period. Um, let's see. Current signaling period. How much do we have left in this one? We have four days. We have four days left in this particular uh, signaling period. So we'll have to see, you know, if that 97% holds. All we need is 90% to signal uh, for in the next, in the next uh, signaling period and we get taproot locked in. I said yesterday that I believe the miners are going to show a unified front uh, instead of what they did last time when any kind of block size debate came up or anything like that. Um, probably because they don't like the fact that Elon Musk uh, crashed the price of Bitcoin. And I don't know, if, I'm, I'm not sure if it was Elon's fault at all. There was some price weakness already, you know, there, there were, it was, I believe it was a confluence of issues and you know the spark was elon musk opening his mouth but if that if the other factors hadn't have been around like weak price action low volumes and all that kind of shit, i don't think what elon said would have done this kind of this kind of movement so i but i still think that they're like going screw this man this time we're gonna we're gonna show a unified front anyway that's that's my spiel on that that's gonna do it for vitals Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Let's start this one off with, <laughs> with idiocy. <laughs> More Americans have heard of Dogecoin than Ethereum, says survey. Greg Thompson, who I probably I get the feeling uh, is maybe an ETH head, uh, has this one for uh, Cointelegraph. In just over five years since it launched, Ethereum introduced the world to smart contracts, decentralized finance, yield farming, and non-fungible tokens. 
No, no, that's actually not true, but whatever. And has long stood just behind Bitcoin as the second largest blockchain project by market cap. Dogecoin is a meme currency, which has provided no innovation, has no real reason to dat or raison de trata, however the, you pronounce that shit, I don't know, and is only popular because it became the plaything of famous multi-billionaires during the past 12 months. So naturally, as one might expect, the average citizen is already more familiar with Dogecoin than they are with Ethereum. That's according to the result of a survey conducted by Harris Poll in conjunction with Coupon Cabin, which asked over 2,000 adults in the United States to give their thoughts on cryptocurrencies. According to the survey findings, 29% of respondents said that they were familiar with Doge, compared to just 21% who said that they were familiar with Ethereum. Of the total 2,063 respondents, 89% said they had already at least heard of cryptocurrency. Bitcoin was already known to a majority, 71% of respondents, with Dogecoin being the second most well-known coin. Other digital assets that Americans claimed familiarity with included the stablecoin launched by Coinbase and Circle USD coin, of which 21% of respondents said they had knowledge. Some 18% respondents said they were familiar with Litecoin and 10% said Stellar, or rather XLM, was known to them. When asked whether they believe cryptocurrencies would become the future of money, 31% responded positively and 30% said they thought of crypto as innovative. At the same time, 23% of respondents said they regarded cryptocurrency as a get-rich-quick scheme, while 19% characterized the technology as shady or nefarious. Almost half, 44% of respondents, said that they would be open to receiving cryptocurrency as part of an online cashback rewards program, IEC Fold and Lolly. Uh, just saying. So what do I think about this? Good. Freaking hate Ethereum, man. I would... I would much rather people know about Doge than Ethereum, and that's saying a lot. I, I, Doge is a complete shit show circus inside of a dumpster fire. And yet I still believe that it is, it is much more fun, much better, and, and, well, I was about to say less deadly, but not anymore than Ethereum. It's actually just as deadly as Ethereum now that Elon Musk has his mitts wrapped around it. But I think it's good. <clears throat> I think it's good news that Dogecoin is more prevalent in society than Ethereum is. And I don't know if you even remotely, you know, have a, you know, two brain cells to rub together, you should probably be yelling at me right now. But that's how much I can't stand Ethereum. Because I don't believe anything about that project is anything remotely passable as something that's ethical or moral or useful or or has a longevity the only reason it's going to have longevity is because of network effect and that just goes to show you just how stupid many many people are and speaking of brian quarmby has this one from coin telegraph talking about stupidity u.s must win the cbdc race to maintain the dollar's global reserve currency status says a federal reserve governor Man, if you think that's going to save the dollar, then, then the dollar's in more trouble than I thought. And I thought it was in a lot of trouble to begin with. The Fed's governor has argued that the United States must be at the forefront of developing a central bank-issued digital currency, or CBDC, to bolster the role of the U.S. dollar as a global reserve currency. In a May 24th announcement, Federal Reserve Governor Leal Brainerd asserted that leading CBDC projects could have a significant effect on the global financial system, urging the U.S. to ensure it plays a leading role in the burgeoning CBDC ecosystem. Quote, given the potential for CBDCs to gain prominence in cross-border payments and the reserve currency role of the dollar, it is vital for the United States to be at the table in the development of cross-border standards. End quote. The announcement notes the Fed is sharpening its focus on four key areas of CBDC development. Quote, the growing role of digital private money, the migration of digital payments, plans for the use of foreign CBDCs and cross-border payments, and concerns by, about financial exclusion. End quote. The governor offered some of the potential benefits to adopting launching a CBDC, asserting that the COVID-19 pandemic had accelerated the migration to digital payments among U.S. households and noting that it took weeks for prepaid debit cards to be distributed as relief to households that did not have up-to-date bank information filed with the Internal Revenue Service. Quote, 
We must explore and try to anticipate the extent to which households and businesses need and preferences may migrate further to digital payments over time, she added. Brainerd also emphasized potential risks associated with the widespread adoption of private stablecoins, suggesting that a CBDC could provide the utilities and benefits associated with existing USD stable tokens without undermining the government's control over monetary policy. <laughs> this is getting really sad. Quote, unlike central bank fiat currencies, stablecoins do not have legal tender status. There is a risk that the widespread use of private monies for consumer payments could fragment parts of the U.S. payment system in ways that impose burdens and raise costs for households and businesses. <laughs> yeah, you wish. Quote, in any assessment of the CBDC, it is important to be clear about what benefits the CBDC would offer over and above current and emerging payment options, what costs and risks a, a CBDC might entail, and how it might affect border or rather broader policy objectives. End quote. I don't give a fuck about your policy objectives. On May the 20th, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell announced that the Fed will compile a paper discussing the benefits and risks of CBDCs, stating, quote, as stablecoins use increases, so must our attention to the appropriate regulatory and oversight framework. Good luck. You're getting left behind in the dust and your ignorance about what CBDCs are capable of or do or how much control you can have over them or how much interest the populace is going to have if you take control of, the, of them is so evident that it is beyond scary. It's way past embarrassing and it just makes me want to stop listening to anything that you have to say. First of all, you're so late to the game that it's embarrassing. Second of all, people, other countries are so far ahead in the game that it's scary. And I honestly think at this point, the United States has one path and that's to adopt a Bitcoin standard. In some way, shape or form, you, they can keep their fiat currency. I don't know how, but you know, I guess they could back the dollar with, with Bitcoin and that would actually stabilize its fluctuations on cross-border valuations, not payments. I'm talking about like how much is the dollar valued in Venezuela versus how much is the dollar valued in Guatemala, right? I don't see any way out. They're, way, they're too far behind. They don't seem to understand some of the underlying, not even the technology. I mean, they don't need to understand the te They can understand the technology just fine, but still completely miss the point, much like Michael Saylor and Elon Musk. They, in this case, Elon Musk doesn't even understand the underlying technology. Mike, Mike is in the driver's seat on that one, but still both of them don't understand the societal, the social, the, you know, the, the memeage. They don't understand any of this, apparently. They don't understand the history of Bitcoin. That's clear because of this bullshit foundation that they're, or council that they're going with. Although the only last thing to say about that is I, I hope they wear robes to their meetings. That's all I can say. Now, uh, uh, let's not do that one just yet. Let me get into this one. I'd rather have Bitcoin over bonds, says billionaire investor Ray Dalio. Oh, here's another one. Another billionaire for your treat this, t t this morning. Martin Young has it for Cointelegraph. Uh, billionaire investor and famed hedge fund manager Ray Dalio has stated he would prefer to purchase BTC over bonds during a recent interview at Crypto Conference Consensus. Speaking on May the 6th in an interview that was aired on Monday, May the 24th, the co-chairman and co-CIO of Bridgewater uh, Associates described Bitcoin as a superior instrument for saving than government or corporate bonds. <clears throat> quote, the more we create savings in Bitcoin, the more you might say, I'd rather have Bitcoin than the bond. Personally, I'd rather have Bitcoin than a bond, end quote. Dalio added that the more savings that go into crypto, the less power governments have over ordinary people's capitals. Well, at least he gets that part. However, despite emphasizing the benefits of investing in BTC, Dalio noted that Bitcoin's greatest risk is its success speculating that the recently surging popularity and performance of crypto assets may spark the catalyst for a sweeping government crackdown on the sector. Good luck. Regulatory arbitrage, people. Quote, one of the great worries is the government having the capacity to control Bitcoin or the digital currencies, he said, adding, they know where you are and they know what's going on. <clears throat> 
Okay. The billionaire hedge fund manager admitted to holding Bitcoin in March after again predicting the U.S. may attempt to ban it. Dalio noted that the United States has attempted to prohibit U.S. citizens from owning or trading gold in the 1930s as it was seen to be competitive, a competitive threat to treasury bonds. That's not why they did it, but whatever. In January, Dalio warned of increasing regulatory pressure targeting digital assets amid the crypto's, the crypto's impressive bull run, writing, quote, I suspect that Bitcoin's biggest risk is being successful because if it's successful, the government will try to kill it and they will have a lot of power to succeed. Yeah, okay, maybe two Americans. The government is not going to crush Bitcoin usage in Ghana. It's just not going to happen. There, there are only so many countries that you can run a coup on before shit goes wrong. And stuff like that, this whole nation building and propping up like, you know, really crappy leaders. When that shit goes wrong, that shit's going to go real wrong. And yeah, when you do it in, like when you do it in Venezuela, you know, because there's oil or whatever. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It worked. Are you going to do it? Are you actually going to spend that money and that much time doing it in a country that has literally nothing of value to you just because they're using Bitcoin? I don't think so. And how many countries on the face of the planet really don't have a whole lot of oil? And certainly almost all of them don't have very many rare earth minerals like uh, that the ESG folks want to get their hands on, like lithium and cobalt and shit like that. Those are the, the uh, raw minerals is the only reason the United States conducts a fucking coup. That's the only reason we do it. That's the only reason China does it. It's the only reason Russia was doing it for a while. I don't think India has engaged in it because maybe they have everything they need. I don't know. But for the most part, most countries on the face of the planet, when they start using Bitcoin because they are just flat done with all the BS, the United States is going to have to think real hard. How much money do they want to spend to overthrow Bitcoin in a country that doesn't have any oil? It doesn't have any net gas. doesn't have any coal. doesn't have any lithium. has no cobalt to speak of. Not really any gold mines. It's just a bunch of people that like, you know, fish and farm and they just want to live their lives, have babies and grow old with their grandchildren. How much money are they going to spend on that? And that's where all this shit's going to take off. That's the, re the regulatory arbitrage that they're not thinking of is not the living leaving their borders, but it's the next generation and the generation after that that grow up with a currency that doesn't devalue in countries that are of no interest to the West. This is one of the reasons why I think the West is doomed. And I don't mean, and I, when I mean doomed, I don't mean that it's like going to catch on fire and burn down and your house is going to be gone. I don't mean that at all. That's not going to happen. That's, that'd just be stupid to think about. But it's power base. It's ability to infiltrate anything and everything that it sees. That's just going to go downhill from here, man. I'm Prepare accordingly. Prepare your children. Prepare your children to prepare their children. <sighs> And we'll, we'll all probably be better off. Now, One River files to offer carbon-neutral Bitcoin ETF. I find this one hilarious. Uh, Peter Chihuahua is writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine. Asset management firm One River has filed for regulatory approval to offer a Bitcoin exchange-traded fund that would be carbon-neutral through the purchase of carbon credits. The One River Carbon-Neutral Bitcoin Trust as the product would be called, will factor in adjustments to reflect the current spot prices of carbon credits needed to offset the estimated carbon footprint attributable to each Bitcoin per filing with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. Through a partnership with Moss Earth, based in Uruguay, the trust would purchase MCO2 tokens, which represent certified reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. What certified, like the uh, bond ratings agencies, certified all those housing uh, junk bonds as AAA? Is, is that the people that you're talking about for certification of greenhouse reductions in greenhouse gas emissions? I mean, it's like, literally, can I just go pay these people $100,000 and, and just, you know, buy a, a plot of land in some bullshit city in the middle of the, in the middle of the city, do nothing with it and say, see, I'm reducing CO2 emissions because I guarantee you that's what some of these people are doing. It's that ludicrous. Continuing on, 
Quote, the MCO2 tokens issued by Moss are assets encrypted and tokenized utilizing blockchain technology and are stored on a registry maintained by Vera. So a ledger or a database. According to the filing, each circulating MCO2 token is intended to represent a claim on a certified carbon credit held in an aggregated pool of carbon credits within the Moss account on the Vera registry, end quote. Many firms in the U.S. have applied to offer a Bitcoin ETF as institutional interest in BTC ramps up, but none have yet been approved, and Bitcoin's energy consumption has been a hot topic lately, with many firms indicating plans to mine BTC in environmentally friendly ways. Okay, so there's three things here. One is they went right to a shitcoin. They're tokenizing the MCO2 token. I wonder if it's an ERC-20. I mean, an MCO2 ERC-20 seems like a match made in Ethereum hell, right? Also, the spot price of carbon credits. I don't know if you know this, but carbon credits are traded on the open market. There are derivatives of carbon credits, just like there are derivatives of Bitcoin in the form of futures like longs and shorts and other derivatives, but we'll, we'll keep it simple. Now, Last over the over the last weekend, we had an announcement from a couple of people that said that it was much less likely to get a Bitcoin ETF due to the price action volatility or the price volatility that we saw, and that for consumer protections, they're really thinking that they're not going to approve an ETF because of these swings. What causes these swings? It ain't spot selling and buying. That's not what's causing the swings. What's causing the swings are chained, liquidated, or, or cascading liquidated longs and short squeezes. And those are only, those only come about from derivative products on the spot price of Bitcoin. And that's the longs and the shorts. So we have, now we have somebody who wants to put together an ETF. Now remember, these people were saying no T ETF because of price, uh, Bitcoin price volatility, which we know is caused by these derivative products more than spot price and sell, okay? So now these people want to make an ETF. It's based on BTC price, which is we're getting hammered by short squeezes and, and cascading longs. And then they want to add to it the carbon credit market and its derivatives. Ladies and gentlemen, if you think this shit is going to get passed as an ETF, you got a long wait. There is no way. There is no way this gets passed because now your risk exposure is to not one, but two separate markets. The carbon credit markets, its derivatives markets, the Bitcoin spot price and the derivatives off of that price, which is the futures. Uh, the whole, it's a, this thing doesn't even make sense. Hell, what we should do is have an ETF that's based on FUD dice rolls. We would actually probably do better in the market on an ETF based on Nick Carter's FUD dice rolling than we would on not only having the price of Bitcoin set in terms of cascading longs and short squeezes, but whatever the hell is going on on carbon credit derivatives. I don't know how much more crazy people can get, but it can probably get a lot worse than this. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. I haven't done a joke in a while. Let's do one. Dad says jokes. The bartender told me they are about to start happy hour, so he asked me to leave. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's terrible. I know. Yeah, whatever. Um, if you want to help spread the show, which I always need help with, it's not like I'm never going to need help with this, and I need your help to do it. You know, five-star reviews at Apple. Uh, make sure that your family and friends know that if they need Bitcoin news in the morning on their daily commute, this is the place to go. Like, share, subscribe, do all the things. And if you want to support the show, you get Breeze Wallet, put some money on it, you know, get some Satoshis going on it, 
go to their podcast section in the Breeze wallet. I know it's it's a Bitcoin Lightning wallet, and yet it has a podcast in it. It's, this is part of the podcasting 2.0 revolution that we're all trying to set. And what you can do is you can listen to this show and set a slider that pays me sats minute by minute, and you can pay me three, five, ten, or a hundred sats per minute. I suggest three because I believe well within my lifetime I will see dollar sat parity. I know wishful thinking, but hey, you got to start somewhere, man. You got to have some goals, pal. You got to have some goals, and you know that way you can stream me sats and listen to the show. And guess what? The way that I've got the Breeze Wallet set up, and the way that I've I've done it through like podcasting 2.0 is that when you stream me sats, you're not streaming it to a third party. You're not even streaming it to my particular Lightning wallet. No, you're streaming it to my Lightning node. Not my wallet, my node, which is sitting about an arm's reach away from me on a Raspberry Pi 4, 4 gig with one terabyte hard drive that runs a Bitcoin full node and therefore it can run a lightning full node. And I've been running a lightning full node for years, fairly well connected at this point. Uh, thanks to ring rings of fire. Again, if you don't know what rings of fire is and you want to learn about lightning network, how it works and get hooked up with some people that want to open up some lightning channels, hit me up in my DMS, uh, B E N N D seven, seven, that's B E N N D seven, seven hit me up. I've got an invite link to that telegram group that I can drop you and you can hook up and start you learning lightning. But in the meantime, just use breeze find my podcast and their podcasting app on the Breeze wallet and stream me sats for listening and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.